Well, just so everybody knows, uh, I, I didn't ask for him to finish early, but I'll take it because yeah, <laughs> all, all this. So anyway, uh, <laughs> um, well, I was glad to be here this morning, and so I open your Bibles to Revelation chapter six as we're going to continue our journey through the book of Revelation. Uh, I would recommend, if you haven't read through the book of Revelation, that you do that. We, we did that a number of times as part of the preaching team, and it's insightful, uh, perhaps sometimes confusing, but that's okay. Uh, we have the Holy Spirit to teach us, and that's what we rely on as we go through this, this session. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different things that uh, you can learn about it, but I, th- I think Scripture is obviously the best teacher, and so we want to focus on that as we... Look at Revelation, we're going to take a a look in Revelation chapter 6, the scroll, the seven seals. And we're going to begin by looking at a little history, make sure I'm going the right direction, there you go. Uh, You'll recall this is kind of the chart that we're using, the graphic if you will, for a framework for our study in Revelation. And uh, this is not necessarily a timeline, this kind of goes, if you will, literally through the, the the book of Revelation, but it doesn't give us a lot of time markers. So we're going to try and do a little bit of that today as we go through, and I think we'll see more of that as we uh, go through. I'm going to pull up this so I can actually get my Bible. So if you go through the the book of Revelation, you'll see that it's broken down into three different parts. And as I zoom in, you'll see the first part uh, is talking about what you have seen. If you recall in in Revelation chapter 1, John is up in heaven and he's commanded to write three things. Write the things that you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place. So we looked at Revelation chapter 1, and that was what you have seen. And then we look at what the things are, which are the, the book of the seven churches. We've seen that. And then we have the remainder of Revelation, which is basically chapter 4 all the way through chapter 22. And we saw a portion of that uh, last week and two weeks ago. We looked at Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 to see this vision of John in heaven. And we also had a kind of an interlude, if you will, aside as uh, Dave was able to talk to us about uh, what the rapture timing would look like. And so now we're going to begin to look back and see the things which will take place in the future. So everything here on out is basically looking forward to the future events, and, and that's kind of what the pre-millennial, if you will, if you're unsure about or didn't get a chance to hear Dave's uh, sermon, I would encourage you to do that, to take a look at that, and there are also a few more handouts, I think, out here in the foyer, but it would give you an idea of kind of where we stand with our pre-tribulation rapture that you see here on the chart, as well as pre-millennial, which basically means the things from chapter 4 on our future. They're going to happen. And so we're going to look at that in a little more detail. So today, we're going to be looking at the seven sealed scrolls in Revelation chapter 6. And, and I'll, I will postulate that, uh, that really, that these scrolls are going to take us through this complete seven-year period. And we're going to look at that briefly to kind of refresh what Dave talked about it. But it's not just, you know, there's a little sliver on our chart here that shows the seven seals. But I think we're going to find that 
these seven, seven seals are going to be, although released at certain points, they're going to take place throughout this seven-year period. And so as you read Revelation, sometimes things happen in sequence. Sometimes there's parenthetical things that, that take us back and forth. And we'll try to be as specific as we can on that. But a lot of times we can't be dogmatic in some of these things. But we'll, we'll try to illuminate where Scripture uh, teaches us that. So we, as we continue our journey, we're going to take kind of a step back and look at this scroll that is going to unwind. And before we do that, I want to really go back and kind of highlight a little bit about what Dave talked about last week, and that is with Daniel's 70th week. And it's a little bit confusing, but in the reality is if you go into Revelation without understanding what Daniel wrote in his prophecy or what Jesus talked about in the Olivet Discourse or what the New Testament writers like Paul talked about in 2 Thessalonians and 1 Thessalonians, you might be a little confused. And so I would encourage you, you know, probably in most of your Bibles, you have a little note that says, oh, take a look at this chapter in Daniel or this chapter in Matthew. To go, go look at those and, and research those and, and take a look because those help to help us understand the things which will take place in the future. And really, um, so we, we, we call this Daniel's 70th week, and I'm not going to get into a large explanation of this. Dave did that quite well last week. But basically, there was 77s in, in Daniel's uh, prophecy. And Daniel's 77s is 69 of those have already taken place. And so we have this break between the 69th week of Daniel and the final week of Daniel, which we believe will take place in the future. And we understand those sevens to be a week of seven years. And, and we get that, obviously, through Scripture. And so if you look at here, you can see it's broken down into two halves. And if you go into Scripture, you know, in, in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel 12, uh, Revelation 12, just so many places where it gives you an idea of what those three and a half years look like. For example, on the left-hand side, you see three and a half years, a time, a times, and a half a time. So if you look at this, it would be like a time, a times, and a half a time. And that's three and a half years. So it kind of makes sense. You'll see that a few times throughout Scripture. You also see the three and a half years referred to as uh, 1,260 days. They used a 360-day calendar. So if you were to get out your calculator, which I have to do because I'm not good at math, then it, it all works out. And the same thing for 42 months. And so these help us understand the timeline of Daniel's 70th week. And, and so that's the kind of the framework what we'll use. And, and, and I want to also provide some time markers. And, and Dave adequately provided one of those. I'm going to get a little more detail. I think there's three specific uh, time markers that help us to determine when and where these scrolls, these seals that are going to be released on these scrolls will take place. And the first time marker really occurs in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. And it says in there that, that he, and when we talk about he, we're going to be talking about the Antichrist primarily throughout not only this, this piece of, of scripture in Revelation chapter 6, but we'll also see him very active throughout the book of Revelation. So he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. You see that? Okay. Um, so this covenant, it's a little uncertain where it's gonna, what it's going to look like, but it'll probably be either a firm covenant that he will make with uh, the Jewish nation, the children of Israel. Uh, it also may, it could be that he's just going to confirm a covenant that's already existing. Some people think that perhaps he will say, hey, we, we, we think you should be in the land and the land is yours. And of course, there's a lot of consternation uh, regarding that. Uh, others think that maybe it will be an actual covenant where the Antichrist will, will sign up of some sort of a peace treaty. 
with the, uh, the nation of Israel. But either way, we, we can be certain that it takes place at the beginning of Daniel's 70th week. And then at the midpoint is perhaps the most cataclysmic event that we see in Daniel's 70th week revolving around the Antichrist, apart from his defeat, is the, what's called the abomination of desolation. And we see this throughout Scripture, uh, the abomination of desolation. And the first part, Daniel, again, if it follows, Daniel 9.27, he will confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. So we learn a couple of things at the abomination of desolation. Uh, number one, there, there will be a temple rebuilt at some point in time before this takes place. And number two, they will, they will actually begin having sacrifices. And some think that perhaps at this covenant that he will allow the Jewish nation to begin offering sacrifices just like they did in the Mosaic time. But at the middle of the three and a half, of the seven years, after three and a half years, he will put an end to the grain offerings and he will put a stop to the sacrifices, which really means he violates whatever covenant he had. Uh, Paul, in writing to the, or excuse me, in Matthew, and we're going to spend a little bit of time in Matthew chapter 24. This is the Olivet Discourse. You'll find it in Matthew, Luke, and Mark. Uh, Jesus says this. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel in, standing in the holy place. So we see not only is there a stop to what was happening with the, the grain sacrifices and the offerings. But we're also seeing that he's going to set himself up in some way, whether that's a statue or set himself up as God. So there's, that's really the abomination, the abomination that's taking place. And we saw, uh, you can go back and research a little bit about what happened in AD 70 and other things to kind of get a glimpse of what that was like at that point. But Antichrist will definitely cause an abomination of desolation. Uh, Paul writes about it in, uh, also in, or excuse me, in Daniel 11. I have that on my chart here. But there were forces will arise, desecrate the sanctuary, the fortress, and do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. So again, something is being set up, and we're not exactly sure. It's probably some sort of an idol, because eventually the Antichrist is going to require that everyone worship him in some way. And, and so there's going to be a, a differentiation between those who will worship the Antichrist and those who won't. And we'll see that as we go through the book of Revelation. And then finally, Paul in Thessalonians, and he's writing to the, the Thessalonian church who had wondered whether this, these events had already happened. And, and Paul says this, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as God. And so again, Paul writing some pretty, pretty difficult things that are going to take place with the Antichrist uh, right in the middle of Daniel's 70th week. And so we see kind of this framework that we're going to do. We have something at the beginning, something in the middle, and then of course, what we're always going to remember and, and go to is that there's going to be a finale, de final defeat of the Antichrist. And that marks the end of this Daniel's 70th week. And so you can read what takes place there that if you follow, basically he's talking about the Antichrist. And in verse 8 he says, Whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. And so we look forward to that time when Jesus Christ will 
defeat the Antichrist. And so we have really three markers that we'll use as a timeline for as we open up and look at these seals from the seven seals. Just one more thing before we begin looking at the seals, and that is kind of the name of what these look like. Uh, And so you can see Jesus actually is the one who kind of makes an idea of what these terms are called, the first half of Daniel's 70th week and the second half. And the first in Matthew chapter 24 and 4 through 8. And I won't read this whole passage. I'll encourage you to go back and you can maybe read Matthew 24. But he talks about many things that are going to take place. And we'll see those as we go through these seals. But Jesus calls those the beginning of birth pangs. And so as we, as we see, there's going to be some level of preparation that's going to happen before the abomination of desolation takes place. And obviously, a lot of things are going to transpire before Jesus comes back and ultimately defeats both the Antichrist and Satan. And then in the second half of the tribulation, of the tribulation period called Daniel's 70th week, Jesus says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation at the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week, which was spoken of by Daniel the prophet, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not has occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will again. So again, we're seeing Jesus call that the great tribulation, which is where we get that word for that seven-year period, or certainly he calls it the great tribulation in the three and a half years. Revelation chapter 7, which we'll see next week um, as we see people who are martyred and, and the elder is going to respond to John and say, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And we're going to see where that seal is going to be broken. These martyrs are going to come out of the great tribulation, which is the last part of the seven-year seven period. So with that brief introduction, I want to take us and look at these seven scrolls. And if you look at it, uh, there's been a lot of study on what these scrolls might look like and what these seals might look like. And really, they're, they're wax seals that, that are on a scroll to prevent it from being opened. And they have found a seven-sealed scroll. And, and I think it's like this. You, to get to actually read the scroll, all seven seals must be removed. And then you're able to open the scrolls. And so, in, in a sense, I think it, with, this, with this scroll... The Lamb, as we're going to find out, is going to begin opening these seals. And at the end of all these seals, we're going to see a lot of things that are going to begin. A lot of judgments of God. A lot of things that that the Lord Jesus Christ has, has laid up in store for those who are wicked. And so the Lamb is going to open up all these seals. We learned that two weeks ago, if you recall, when John was in heaven. And the scroll was there, and they began to weep because who was able to open the scroll? And there was no one found worthy except one, and that was the Lamb of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior who was worthy of opening these, scroll, these, these seals. What we'll find in, in Daniel, excuse me, in Revelation, throughout Revelation, that none of this is incidental or kind of happenstance or like just kind of worked out that way, but all of these are going to be predetermined through the sovereign will of God. Nothing is going to surprise God like, wow, I didn't realize the Antichrist was going to be so strong. You know, or, oh, wow, these, these stars crashing to earth. What is this happening? All this has been predetermined by God himself. 
And we're going to see that as we go through these seals, that God has ordained various people and, and events to take place throughout the end of time to bring about the ultimate destruction of evil. And, and so as we see that, let, let not your heart be troubled that these things are happening. These things are happening because God is sovereignly destined them to happen. And each seal uh, builds toward an ultimate fulfillment of God's victory over evil. So as we look at it, this is, I think this is perhaps the second most important book, you know. We, so we talk about the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, that's a, that's a great book. Uh, but this one is probably this, maybe the second well-known book, you know, that this seven scroll. And some of you may, if I put this up, you're like, wow, who are, who are these horse guys? And, but if I were to tell you who are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I do, I do remember those guys. But most of us probably wouldn't necessarily associate the scroll with the seven horsemen of the apocalypse, but that's indeed what they are. And so now, from now on, when people talk about the, the horsemen of the apocalypse, you'll be like, yeah, that's, that's Revelation 6. That's the scroll. And so we're going to go through each one of these to kind of help us understand what God is trying to do as he opens these seals with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that, if you could open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading from verse 1, to understand what's happening on the first seal. Then I saw the Lamb open one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and there was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. A crown was given to him, and he went out as a conqueror in order to conquer. Interesting here, again, we see the Lamb opening one of the seals. And we'll see that throughout. The Lamb is the one who is opening the seals to unleash whatever it is that he has planned. And here we have a white horse, a white horse, someone with a bow and a crown was given to him. And again, we see that this is not something that he's taken, like I'm, I'm going to rule and reign. It's me. I'm going to take all this. No. Preordained that this Antichrist would come and a crown was given to him. And he went out to conquer and to conquer. So I guess the big question that you might have is, who is this writer? Uh, there's been a lot of thoughts about this, especially early on. Many thought it was Jesus. Uh, I even read a commentary that said it was the church. Uh, and so why would people think that it was Jesus? Well, it's a white horse. And when we look in Revelation chapter 14, uh, excuse me, chapter 19, we see that he enters for his final victory in a white horse. And we also see that he has a crown. Uh, and for me personally, after doing a lot of research, I believe, and, and I think most scholars believe now, that actually the, the white rider of the white horse is the Antichrist. And so a couple of reasons for that. Number one, the crown that we have in the Greek that the, the rider is wearing is, is different than the crown that Jesus Christ is wearing, the Greek word there. So it's not the same crown. He's wearing this kind of crown of victory. You can, I don't know if you can see it in the kind of that, that reef-like thing that, that he's wearing there. That's that's the crown that the Antichrist will be wearing, whereas Jesus Christ is wearing a different type of crown in the Greek word. And I also think that since the Lamb is breaking the seals from heaven, uh, and the rider obviously is, is on earth, so it doesn't really make sense that the Lamb is going to break the seal and then ride out on his own. Um, and of course we know that the Antichrist, his purpose really is to go out and conquer. This is what God has preordained, that the Antichrist would go out and ride and conquer and eventually be defeated. So I think what we're seeing here is the beginning of Daniel's 70th week. And as we look in our timeline, 
we'll see that I think the, the rider of the white horse comes out at the beginning of Daniel's 70th week. You recall that he's going to make a covenant with many for seven years or one week, which he will obviously break at some point. But Jesus talks about the things that are going to take place during this time. He says, answers them. And he's, remember, he's answering a question that the disciples had at the Olivet Discourse. The question really was, when are these things going to happen? Because remember, he had talked about the destruction of the temple. And the disciples were a little confused. And so he asked, when are these things will happen? And what will be the sign of your coming? And Jesus answered them and said, watch out that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will mislead many. And really, I think that fits exactly with what the, the mission of the Antichrist is. He will create some sort of a false peace, a covenant, but he knows, I think, he will break. And at the midpoint of, the, of Daniel's 70th week, we see the abomination in which he breaks that, that, uh, that covenant. So his He's, he's not coming in peace. He's coming to mislead and deceive. And Jesus and other, the other uh, writers talk about this a lot. And matter of fact, Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, we've looked at this passage a little bit, says the coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working. For every kind of miracle, both signs and wonders, serving the lie, and with every wicked deception among these who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth, and so be saved. For this reason, God sent them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie so that all will be condemned, both those who did not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness. So we see that this Antichrist person, while he might be coming in relative peace, especially with the Jews, that the reality of who he is is a deceiver, one who will go before uh, and create delusions and false wonders and signs. And so I think initially he will be out and, and, and trying to kind of bring a consolidation of his power. You'll notice he has a bow but no arrows. So I think in, in essence he will try to be peaceful, but in the end, obviously, that will not be where he's going. So if G the, the Antichrist begins with his reign, we'll go on to the second seal, which is the red horse in Revelation chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. When I opened the second seal, excuse me, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse went out, a fiery red one, and its rider was allowed to take peace from the earth so that people would slaughter one another. And a large sword was given to him. Well, we begin to see a fundamental shift from perhaps the, the false peace that the Antichrist has to so at some point we're going to begin to see wars. And, and that will be a theme as we go through Revelation. We're going to see many wars that will take place. And obviously leading up to the ultimate war, the battle of Armageddon where the Lord Jesus Christ will ride out with his army and defeat all of Satan. But in the interim, there's going to be a lot of war that's going to take place. And matter of fact, a lot of it will be as the Antichrist begins to gather his power, he will go to war against really some of those who, who would not want to have him having this peace treaty with the Jews. And so I believe that this also will take up the beginning of the first part of, of Daniel's 70th week. If we read it, it says, uh, you are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. Sorry, I can't read that back there for some reason, so I'll turn around. Um, <laughs> see that you are not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation 
and kingdom against kingdoms. And all these events are the beginning of labor pain. So again, Jesus talks about that there's going to be wars and rumors of wars that are going to take place at the first three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week. Um, in Revelation chapter 13, an interesting passage that we'll get to eventually, it says the dragon, and that's Satan, the dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority to rule. So the Antichrist and those around him who, who are initially, perhaps there'll be some who won't like what the Antichrist is doing and will go to war against him. And so there will be beginnings of wars. And Jesus says that's going to take place during the beginning of labor pains. I think this is not only a war, but there's going to be violence beginning to spread throughout the, certainly the Middle East. And, and we said, if you looked at that passage, it says, so people would slaughter one another and they're going to take peace from the earth. And so it's kind of interesting that, that it doesn't really say war, but it's going to be that peace, that false peace that the Antichrist initially talked about is going to start to go away as wars take place. And we'll see this, we'll see again, you know, this is not a single incidence where, oh, there's a war and then it's over. No, this this is going to be the beginning as wars begin, as, as, as nations kind of posture themselves to take control. And this will continue throughout most of Daniel's 70th week. If we were to read, we won't go into it today, but if you were to look at Daniel chapter 11 and chapter 12, it'll give you an idea of what some of these early on wars might look like as kings from the north and kings from the south begin to clash. Uh, and I think this is taking place in the first three and a half years, in, the, in, in what's called the be, uh, beginning of labor pains. It's interesting, though, remember that Jesus is still in control. The last part of verse 4 says a large sword was given to him. So again, Jesus, through opening the seals, is giving power to allow uh, these kings and these rulers to, to begin to wage war. And of course, for those who are here on the earth, it's, it's not going to be good, as we'll see in the next few seals. So seal three, if we'll turn to Revelation chapter six and verse five and six, we'll read, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and there was a black horse. Its rider had a set of scales in his hand. Then I heard something like a voice among the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. But do not harm the oil and the wine. So it's not uncommon for as war begins to permeate society that famine is going to begin to, to, be, to go throughout the nations as well. Uh, again, we have the scales in his hands and, and we see really the beginnings of economic collapse. And again, I think this is kind of a natural outpouring of war as, as war takes place uh, the economic collapse will, will take place if you, kind of that, the four living creatures is talking about a denarius, which is basically a, a, a day's wage, if you will. And so, used to be, I think you would you'd buy maybe 15 or 20 quarts of wheat back in Jesus' day, and now all of a sudden, we're talking about a quart of wheat for one denarius. So, somewhere in the neighborhood of 800 to 1,500% inflation. You know, I think our inflation right now is kind of high, the highest it's been in forever, which, but it's only like 7%. So imagine, imagine that going 800% or 1,500% inflation, which is what we're seeing take place during Daniel's 70th week. 
So really, economic collapse is going to take place. I, I started to think about, have we seen this really before? Certainly, we've seen it in Scripture. If you remember the story of Joseph when he was basically in Egypt, and, and remember Pharaoh had the dream, and Joseph interpreted the dream and said, hey, you're going to have seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And after those few of those seven years, uh, you remember they came in to buy food from, from Joseph. He would sell them food, and they gave him their silver and then he gave them their livestock. And finally, at the end, uh, when their livestock was gone, it says in Genesis chapter 47, they offered their land and themselves. And before long, Pharaoh owned all the land in Egypt. And the people became his slaves, and Pharaoh's power multiplied. So I think the outpouring of, of this war and this famine, this economic collapse is going to be, as they consolidate power, consolidate wealth, that there is going to be a, a, a great outcry for food, for basic necessities that are going to take place. And again, while this may begin during Daniel, the first half of Daniel's 70th week, I think it will continue. There will be uh, many things that will take place that will make living during this time absolutely difficult. It's easy for us to kind of look through these seals as we look at the fourth seal and kind of say, like, this really isn't a big deal. Sorry, I didn't read that verse, but we've read it before. This was, you know, I mean, we've seen death. We've seen war. I mean, World War I, World War II, that was pretty significant. But we're going to find that what's going to transpire in the book of Revelation is going to be beyond something we've ever seen before. And Jesus testified to that with the disciples when he said, this kind of great tribulation is something that we have never seen before. Uh, and so we're going to see this a little bit in the, the seal four. Verses 7 and 8 of Revelation chapter 6. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth creature, living creature, say, Come. And I looked, and there was a pale green horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following after him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, by famine, by plague, and by wild animals of the earth. Uh, this, if some of your Bibles may talk about a green or a pale or different colored horses, but really it's, it's that sickly look. Have you, ever, have you ever looked at someone who's maybe not feeling well? You look, look, look pale. And really that's the nature of what this horse is. It's like someone who's sick and dying. And we see that here. And again, we see that Jesus Christ and God the Father is, is in this. This is this is not something that's happening without his knowledge. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword. Well, if we estimate the population of the earth right now, I think it's around 8 billion, um, give or take. We're talking about 2 billion people that are going to be killed as a result of the things that are transpiring during this time. And we'll see even later that there'll be another great death that will take place that will wipe out another, even more people. And so this, this calamity that's going to be affecting the people on earth during this time is going to be beyond something even we can comprehend. Um, so this seal, I still think that a lot of this seal is going to take place in the first half of the, tri of the tribulation period of Daniel's 70th week. I think some might consider that it would take place after. And, and why do I say that? Again, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, but I think, number one, you have very synergy between those four horses. And we know that based on what Jesus said, that a lot of these things are going to take place 
uh, with the beginning of birth pains, which is what we have here. And so while certainly there's going to be death throughout, and, and there are times in Revelation where you may come away and go, Wow, that was, that was a really kind of a downer of a sermon. And, and honestly, for, for much of Revelation, that's what we're going to see. Uh, fortunately, we're able to flip to the end and look at the end result and be blessed by that. Uh, but in the interim, there, there is going to be a lot of pain and suffering for those that are here on earth. So you're talking about many people being killed. And so I say, you know, it could be on either side. I, I do believe that... that Seal 6 will, because of the synergies with the four horsemen, that will be in the beginning of birth pains. But we'll see Matthew chapter 24 and Jesus saying, the nation will rise up against nation, kingdom and kingdoms, and there will be famines, earthquakes, and various places, and all these events are the beginning of labor pains. I mean, it's kind of interesting, if you YouTube kind of end times right now, I mean, you'll see sermons about how, oh, COVID, that's, we're at the end times because of COVID, and and we're at the end times because of just the political climate and all this. And uh, I will say, I, I, I wouldn't put much stock in this compared to what's going to happen. When you're talking about 2 billion people who are going to die, what we're experiencing with COVID, what we're experiencing now uh, is unlike anything that we'll see, uh, that people will see here on earth. So it's a pretty significant thing that's going to happen. And so it's, it's uh, as we think about these seals, we have to remember that these are things that God has, has ordained for the world. Those are ordained for, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to line up with the Antichrist and are going to be killed so that God might have the ultimate victory. So as we begin to think about seal number five, again, not a really good picture for those who are here on earth during this time. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they had given. They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood? So they were each given a white robe and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were going to be killed just as they had been killed. I don't know about you, but this kind of gives me pause to think that, you know, a lot of times we think that the Antichrist maybe and the things that are happening is there's going to be a lot of judgment poured out against the wicked, and certainly that is going to be the case. But here we see that there is going to be people who believe who are going to be martyred for their faith. They're going to be killed. And we see this is you know, not something that is not part of other scripture. We're not sure when this fifth seal takes place. It could be further toward the end, but... In general, it will come, I believe, after the abomination of desolation. This is kind of when everything changes, when, when the covenant is broken and the Antichrist will go after, uh, they talk about the saints, those who are believers during this uh, Daniel 70th week. They will talk about going after the Jewish nation. And so we see in Matthew that they will hand you over to be persecuted and they will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will multiply and the love of many will grow cold. 
So Jesus teaches in Matthew 24 that they will begin to hand you over to be persecuted and kill you. And he writes even more about the beast. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, and again, that's why I think this is going to happen in the second half of Daniel's 70th week. When you see the abomination of desolation, which is spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the mountaintop, housetop, must not go down to get things out of his house. And whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those women who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. Moreover, pray that when you flee, it will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation. Again, that word, such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will again. Again, this is, uh, I don't think we can clearly imagine. I mean, we know that there were martyrs in, in Jesus' day. We know most of the disciples were martyred. We know that there will be martyrs in the future. We know that there's martyrs even today. But I think this will be, we'll find uh, to be pretty substantial. I won't read all of this, but you'll see the abomination of desolation and the great tribulation that Jesus talks about just kind of set us a little time marker for what's transpiring. In Revelation chapter 13, uh, again, I won't read everything here, but if you look at the last part, it was also given authority over every tribe, people, and nation permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. And we'll see that a little later in Revelation chapter 13. So the Antichrist is going to give authority over believers during this time. Again, we talked about last week that the church will be raptured, but there will be people who will come to trust the Lord Jesus Christ during this time. And this seal talks about martyrdom. So seal number six, the signs in the heavens. Let's continue to read in Matthew, or excuse me, Revelation 6.12. Then I saw him open the sixth seal. A violent earthquake occurred. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth and as a fig tree drops its unique figs when shaken by a high wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was moved from its place. You know, these signs, is not something we think about very much because again, these signs are during Daniel's 70th week, but it's very prevalent that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that there will be signs of Jesus' Christ's return. And these signs will be anticipatory of his ultimate judgment on the earth. And so we see these cosmic signs that are going to take place. And again, we're not certain exactly when it will take place in that Daniel's uh, last three and a half years of Daniel's seventh week. But I, you know, it will take place somewhere toward the end. So I'm going to look at a few verses in First of all, in Matthew 24, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, again, we're talking about the great tribulation that Jesus had just talked about, the, the martyrs. After the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. In Isaiah 13, we see the same thing. If you look at the second part of this, indeed, the stars in the sky and their constellations no longer give their, out their light. The sun is darkened as soon as it rises and the moon does not shine. We see it in Jeremiah when he says, Thus says the Lord, Learn not the way of the nation, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed by them. In Haggai chapter 2, Moreover, this is what the Lord of the heaven of the armies has said. In just a little while, 
I will once again shake the sky and the earth and the sea and the dry ground. And perhaps one of the more well-known passages in Joel chapter 2, the earthquakes before them, the sky shakes, the sun and moon grow dark and the stars cease their shining. So the cosmic signs which will take place again will be, a, will be something that the people on earth will look for and Jesus talks about that those signs will be preliminary to his return to earth. So really what we have here kind of is a, is a road map, if you will, of Daniel's 70th week. And, and we'll begin to, to piece that out as we think about trumpets. But I want to talk about a few other things as we look at the last few verses of Revelation chapter 6. So we're going to look at verses 17 through the end of the chapter. Then the kings of the earth, the nobles, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and every slave and free person hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide from us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, because the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Interesting, I put up the title of Revelation 6 and how it applies to the day of the Lord. Interesting, we see that they're going to hide themselves from the face of the one seated on the throne, that would be God the Father, and from the Lamb, the wrath of the Lamb. And this passage of Scripture says the great day of their wrath, the wrath of God and the wrath of the Lamb has come. Who is able to stand? And I think this is referencing the day of the Lord. We, we think about the characteristics of the day of the Lord. You really have, there's so many passages in Scripture that talk about the day of the Lord and what that's like. We talk about judgment and darkness and destruction. It's, there's really not a lot of good things talk about the day of the Lord. There's a few things for the righteous that they will be saved out of the day of the Lord. But most of it is negative and judgment and vengeance. And certainly the end of the day of the Lord, again, we, it's a day, but really we think of it as a period of time that will transpire in the Lord's events that take place in Revelation, in the book of Revelation. I think we can learn a couple of things about the day of the Lord and perhaps the timing of when the day of the Lord comes in light of what we're talking about. Second Thessalonians, again, Paul was writing about this specific day. In chapter 2, he said, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or by a message or a letter supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he sits in God's temple, proclaiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember this when I was still with you? I used to tell you about this. So, Paul is not really giving them anything new, but he's letting them know since they had asked about, hey, all these things, they were, they were facing persecution. Did the day of the Lord come? And Paul says, no, it hasn't. Not until the apostasy and the man of lawlessness. Again, two references to the Antichrist until that one is revealed. So we kind of get an idea that the day of the Lord could perhaps start at the midpoint of the tribulation after the abomination of desolation based on what Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians. And then if we go back to that portion in Joel that we read earlier, it says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before 
the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And so we see a little bit of understanding of the timeline with the day of the Lord in Joel chapter 2. And perhaps uh, that would lead us to think that maybe that the day of the Lord would begin uh, during this time after the sixth seal. But again, we, I wouldn't be dogmatic about it. The thing, again, things could move back and forth. But I believe it's kind of helpful to get an idea of what that might look like as we have this kind of framework over the book of Revelation, in chapter 6, which talks about the seals. So with this framework, you know, some of you might be wondering, like, so what? Why, you know, why go through this? Because we learned last week, we're not, we're not going to be present. So, you know, why are we spending time going through this book of Revelation? Well, I think um, there's a few reasons why. Uh, you know, now that we have this roadmap, why we go through it. Um, the first thing is, this is, this is Scripture. This is God's Word. Let's be clear, this, this is truth, and these events will, will take place. So when people ask you, how are these things going to work? You know, now you have a little bit of a framework as we go through Revelation to talk about it, because this is God's Word. Secondly, we've learned in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, that there's a blessing to those who read and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things which are written here. So there's a blessing for us to actually read these words. And I would encourage you again to read it on your own and try to understand it. The other piece I think is the eschatology, which is the study of future events, is really not 100%, right? I mean, we talk about, I believe, you know, that we've, based on what, what uh, Dave talked about, that we have an idea of what the, the rapture will be, but there's three positions, and, and two of those think that we will face the Antichrist. And certainly, as Dave talked about, Christians, Christians will face persecution. Uh, whether we'll face the Antichrist based on a pre-tribulation rapture, the answer is no. But we should be prepared for tribulation because certainly the Bible talks about that and Timothy and Acts and John and Peter all talking about us facing persecution and tribulation. And certainly, there will be unsaved. Those who aren't raptured uh, will face the Antichrist, right? The realities of that is true. And so you have friends, you have neighbors, you have co-workers who are going to face the Antichrist and face the terrible tribulation that are going to take place. So armed with that, we can provide them with knowledge and understanding of the difficulties that will take place. And perhaps... Um, maybe they're going to log into Hillview Bible Chapel and, you know, read this sermon and go, oh, wow, this kind of makes sense now. Maybe, maybe I should not take the mark of the beast. Maybe I shouldn't worship the Antichrist. And perhaps, um, God willing, maybe they would be martyred for their faith. What a privilege that would be for them who, are, who, who take uh, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ during this time uh, to be martyred for their faith. So there is hope. Uh, we don't talk about too much about second chances. Uh, you know, I think we'll talk about that. You have a chance in your lifetime. So if the Lord returns and you are still here, then you have an opportunity still to not take the mark of the beast, to not worship the Antichrist, and to turn and trust the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Uh, those will be hard times, as we said. There'll be famine and death and martyrdom. Uh, and many of those who trust and believe will be killed for their faith. Uh, but what a blessing uh, to suffer persecution and trials and tribulation for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We look forward to the time when the Lord Jesus Christ, as our sermon series, I am coming quickly, and we see the world around us, 
And we kind of like, any day now, Lord, any day now. Uh, the, the future is, is bleak from a worldly standpoint. But there's hope that the victory belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will defeat evil. He will defeat uh, every, every nature of evil in our world. And that is something that we can, we can bank on and hope for. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word as it's brought forth. This contains sometimes difficult passages that talk of things that we often don't talk about, death and destruction and, and martyrdom. And yet we know that this is part of your plan for the future. This is not something that is surprising to you, but it's preordained. Father, to, to bring about faith and truth in the world to ultimately lead to a new heaven and a new earth. We'll be with you forever if we placed our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. May that be our theme as we learn this, that our faith and trust in the Savior who opens these seals to be strengthened, to be encouraged, uh, knowing that he will come quickly. In his precious name we pray, amen.